All right, make sure you're taking notes. This will be your, you'll be quizzed on this tomorrow. Have you ever been really, really in love? Yes, I see some of you looking around the room. Interesting, interesting. You don't have jobs yet, so let's just keep that, you know, keep that in the pocket. Um, But I don't mean just a crush. I don't mean like some of the crushes that I've heard about going on around here or through social media or whatever. I mean really, really in love, obsessed, psychopathically obsessed. Have you ever been psychopathically obsessed, Lucas? (laughs) No. The only reason I called your name is because you're paying very close attention. That's good. I mean willing to sell your soul to the devil in love. Did you say yes? (laughs) Hopefully you didn't go through with it. Hopefully you didn't go through it. Ready to give the whole world for just one date. Oh, you know, have you ever been what we could call madly in love? Well, the story of Anthony and Cleopatra, Antony and Cleopatra, that's a story of mad love. And it is a, a play written for theater by Shakespeare. Shakespeare born in 1564. Also known as the Bard. The Bard. One of the most influential authors in all of Western civilization. Along with the King James Bible, Shakespeare has influenced our language more than any other person in the history of the world. And he, of course, writes plays about... The Roman Empire, Julius Caesar, and Antony and Cleopatra. He's getting the content for these plays from classical works like Plutarch's Lives. And um, Shakespeare is interesting. He's, he's born in and around a time where, where the Western world was becoming reinterested in the classic works. The works of men like Tacitus and Lucretius and Euclid and Plato and Aristotle in a time period that in Northern Europe we call the Reformation and in Southern Europe we call the Renaissance, where people were going back to the sources to study. And Shakespeare is a, somewhat a part of that. He's, he's a little later on the scene, but he's interested in classic history, in, in antiquities. And so he writes a play based on history, based on the history given to us in Plutarch's lives called Antony and Cleopatra. But Shakespeare, even though the the work is not written in the ancient times, it's written in the Middle Ages or the time of Christendom, Shakespeare um, is a very interesting character to study. He was born after um, a real back and forth turbulent time in England. Henry VIII had pulled away from the Pope and away from the Roman Catholic Church because he had strong biblical convictions. Or does anyone know the reason why he did it? He wouldn't let him get a, a divorce. Yes, he wouldn't, he wouldn't uh, let him get a divorce. He wanted to have his, his marriage annulled so that he could get married to someone who could give him an heir. <clears throat> and so he pulls England out of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, but then later, his son Edward was actually a Christian and a good king, and he led England through many reformations and, and adopted many good reforms. But then after Edward was Bloody Mary. You know about, you've at least heard that name. Bloody Mary was a Roman Catholic dictator who killed thousands of, of innocent Christians. But then you have, after Bloody Mary, you have Elizabeth, who was a Protestant 
queen. And so England's kind of going back and forth. This seesaw makes England sort of, you know, sick. You got years of killing Protestants, then years of killing Catholics, then years of killing Protestants. It's, it's a turbulent time. And, and um, fortunately, the Protestant queen, Elizabeth, remained on the throne for quite some time. So England became eventually a Protestant nation, which was good for us. But uh, that's when Shakespeare was born. He was born sort of in this particular time of turbulence. <laughs> and he wrote many plays. We've mentioned some of them. Anyone know probably the most famous of his plays? Romeo and Juliet. That's right, Romeo and Juliet, probably the most famous. Uh, but Antony and Cleopatra is one of his greatest works. He's very insightful. He writes from a Christian worldview. And if you can read it and understand it, and it's not always easy to read because it is um, vocabulary that we're not accustomed to, to reading and it is written in you know, older English. But if you study it and you take the time, he's very insightful. He's very wise. He understands human nature. He understands sin. And in this particular story, he knows the depths to which mad love can bring someone. In this work, in Antony and Cleopatra, he's basically going to show you what happens when someone falls head over heels and hits their brain on the way down. And in this time, and in this case for Antony and Cleopatra, they're not just destroying their own personal lives. They're destroying kingdoms and empires. This, uh, this love story in history and in this play has major ramifications for the history of the world and major ramifications for us. Right. Real quick review. What are the three types of love in the Bible? Eros, agape, and phileos. That's right. Brotherly love, friendship, what we might call companionship or friendship. Agape, the highest form of love, covenantal loyalty, covenantal love and faithfulness, what God desires from all of us. And then eros, passionate, romantic, chemistry, love. And of course, Solomon warns us that if we allow eros to control us, um, it can really uh, make our lives difficult, right? And this whole story is basically a parable. Don't arouse love before the proper time and don't worship love and don't follow your heart or else you might end up just like Antony and Cleopatra, dead. All right, who was Mark Antony? Who was he? Well, um, so far, we've been covering the Roman history. We've covered the, the, the Punic Wars, the invasion of, of Italy by Hannibal. You've seen the corruption of the Senate, right? The back and forth between all the various generals. Well, eventually, one particular general, Julius Caesar, and his sidekick, his, his horse bearer, his sidekick, Antony, eventually gain enough power that they cross the Rubicon, they come back into Rome, and they defeat the Senate and take over, basically, the Roman Republic. But not long after that, the Senate, in another swing of, you know, a power, power shift, they assassinate Julius Caesar. And what was the famous words he uttered as he was dying? Et tu brute. Of course, we get that from Julius Caesar, the play by William Shakespeare. He's, he's reading these historical works like Plutarch's Lives and writing uh, plays about them. 
But when Julius Caesar is assassinated and uh, shanked to death by the members of the Senate, Antony, his sidekick, revenges his death and, and kills many of the senators. And then, because the Senate has now lost quite a bit of power, the, the power struggle in Rome shifts to what is called the triumvirate. The triumvirate. T-R-I-U-M. Triumph. V-E-R-A-T-E. The triumvirate. And the triumvirate is comprised of three different men. Antony, Octavian, and Lepidus. Lepidus but you don't really need to know his name. He, he kind of goes off the scene early. <clears throat> so the entire Roman Republic is you know, t- going all the way from Spain to Armenia, from Germany to the Sudan and Africa, is controlled by these three men, Lepides or Lepidus, Octavian, and Antony. And the Senate no longer has much power. But Antony, he has a, a bit of a problem. Um, and his problem is a girl named Cleopatra. She's an Egyptian queen. She had a son with Julius Caesar, which probably did not make Antony all that happy. She w- was of Greek culture. And Shakespeare says she was, she was brown, she was tawny, which is not a word we use very often. But in a lot of the, the plays and a lot of the movies between Antony and Cleopatra, you have two white people. But more than likely, Antony was, was brown uh, and Cleopatra was black or some versions of dark tan. Um, they weren't two Norwegians, um, as you might think in our, in our own minds, but that's the Hollywood movies. And she was reportedly very beautiful and very, very shrewd. If you ever get a chance to read Antony and Cleopatra or see the play, you'll see why you should not name your daughter Cleopatra. It's like naming your daughter Delilah or Jezebel. Just not the proper name for a virtuous young lady. Now, another character, another member of the, of the triumvirate, Octavian, he was the nephew and the adopted son of Julius Caesar. <clears throat> you see, Julius Caesar's right-hand man, Antony, when Julius Caesar died, Antony wanted to see precisely how much uh, Julius had left him, and so he checked the will, and he was unfortunately not given much. Octavian was given much more power. Antony was hoping he'd be the, the emperor, but instead, he, he split his power with Octavian and Lepides. <clears throat> but Octavian, he eventually is going to defeat Antony in a civil war. He doesn't like Antony for many reasons. One, they're opponents in this political struggle for power. But also, uh, Antony is married to Octavia's sister. And he cheats on her with Cleopatra. So Octavian does not like Antony very much. Tensions are, are quite high. Eventually, Octavian is going to defeat Antony in many land and sea battles. And he's going to become the first official emperor of the Roman Empire, Octavian. 
he's going to take the title of Caesar Augustus, which is basically something like God of the universe, Lord over all, Caesar the August one, the great one, the almighty one. It's a, it's a, a, a name of divinity. And for us as Christians, it's significant that in 27 BC, Octavian becomes the emperor of the entire Roman Empire because it means there's less civil war and there's less strife and conflict and um, there is peace making way for what happens in a few years. Jesus. That's right, the birth of Jesus. But it's Caesar Augustus, Octavian, who killed Antony in the civil war. Well, who had Antony uh, taken care of. I don't want to tell you the whole story. But um, he defeated Antony in the civil war and took over the entire empire. He is the one that issued the census, which made Mary and Joseph have to travel down to Bethlehem. Now let's get on to uh, the worldview of Antony and Cleopatra. Our world tells us that we should follow our hearts, right? Damn the consequences. Basically, um, there have been seasons of this world, though, and uh, the Roman Empire, is a, a Roman Republic, is a great example, where love wasn't the highest passion. The heart wasn't the highest passion, uh, where duty and honor were more important. You can think back when we discussed Greek history, the sort of the contrast between the Dionysian spirit and the Apollo spirit, right? Or the, the difference between Sparta and Athens. You have this... Is it duty? Is it honor? Or is it passion and love? You know, which is it, right? Logic or romance? There's, there's sort of this back and forth. But our world right now, what's winning the day? Love. Yeah, love and passion. Damn the consequences. <laughs> our world is a lot more like Antony. Do you remember uh, Ianus from, uh, from earlier Omnibus who, uh, who left his, his passionate love, Dido, in Carthage and went off to found Rome? Yeah. He left the Trojan War and eventually founded Rome. You see, he's a man of duty, a man of calling, a man of responsibility who left Dido in Carthage. Right? But, but Antony is the exact opposite. And the story of Antony and Cleopatra, he has responsibilities in Rome. He leaves his responsibilities and his duties for this beautiful seductress in Egypt. <laughs> and this basically, this play with William Shakespeare, with a Christian worldview, explores the the damage and the downfall and the stupidity of falling head over heels and not um, concerning yourself with your duty and calling and, and the law of God. Make sense? Now, um, Cleopatra, she's another main character in this story. And I already told you a little bit about her. But another thing to know about her, she's not very domestic. She's not so much into her husband and her children. She's an adulteress after all. She's more into political power and prestige. And that, of course, is against the biblical view of, of what a woman should be as well. In demonology, we call this sort of a woman a succubus. Have you ever heard that word? S-U-C-C-U-B-U-S. A succubus. It's probably a character in your video games, I would imagine. Um, the male version is an incubus. Have you ever heard of that? 
These are demons that come to you in your dreams and seduce you. A succubus comes to you in your dreams and seduces you and steals your power. Or it's a, a demon that, that the devil sends to you to ruin your life. And they're always beautiful and uh, voluptuous and um, poisonous. That's the Cleopatra type. That's the Cleopatra type. Um, <clears throat> let's look at uh, Proverbs chapter 5. If you if you have your Bibles, I want to I want to just show you a few things here. Proverbs chapter five, because the Bible describes a succubus, a Cleopatra, a Delilah, a Jezebel. I'm trying to think of some other examples. Let's see Proverbs chapter five. You know, a, a succubus looks beautiful. But if you get close upon further ex- inspection, you, you find out, oh, she has um, scales. Or, oh, she has a, a, um, a reptile vertebrae. You know, there's, at first she's beautiful, but deep down she's dark and sinister and ready to ruin your, ruin your life. And this is what Proverbs chapter 5 warns people like. You know, basically Proverbs chapter 5 is don't be, a, don't be an Antony, Right? He says, <clears throat> I'll start off with this part. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Right? That you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. And then he goes on to the, descript- the description of a Cleopatra. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. So at first she's smooth as oil. At first she's sweet. But in the end, you're living in hell on earth. Who wants that? Raise your hand. Right. Her feet go down to death. So that means she, the path that she walks down goes down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. It's another word for the grave or hell. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. What's he warning? What's he warning him against? Don't listen to her words. Don't look at her. Avert your eyes and do not follow her. In, uh, in ancient Greek mythology, what do we call a succubus or a Cleopatra? Yeah, Medusa has a bit of that quality. But remember the sirens that sang the song and caused sailors to be enslaved? <clears throat> the siren song whose words are smooth and in oil. What does he say? He says, oh, oh, sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. What should you do with women like that? Keep your way far from her. It's not hard to understand. What does that mean? Don't click that link, right? Don't answer that, that text. Don't hang out with her. Don't think about her. Avoid her, right? Um, let some other doofus idiot ruin his life, not you. And do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Basically meaning she will steal your youth. She will steal your, your 20s. She will steal your 30s. And she will steal your name and make it mud and ruin your reputation. Uh, lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. You will work like a dirty dog and have no money at the end of it. And other people will have all your money because of her. 
And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. She'll take away your life and your health. And you say on your deathbed, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teacher, Pastor Brandon, or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. This is a ESV. I, well, the Pastor Brandon part I added. <laughs> but then notice how he says the guy is still in church, but he's like, I am at the brink of utter ruin, ruin in the assembled congregation. I'm that guy standing there in church. I got no money. I got no prospects. I got no job. I have no honor. I have no name. And it's all because I slept with a succubus. It's all because I went by her house and hung out by her door and listened to her words. And I can tell you right now, I can, we could go through our own church and we could go through any church and I could point those dudes out to you. And they would all tell you, you better not flirt with a succubus. They will ruin your life. And you will say at the end of your days, oh, how I wish I would have listened to William Shakespeare, when he wrote, wrote about Antony and Cleopatra, every man has this choice to make, to chase a Cleo, and no offense to anyone who happens to be named Cleo, your parents didn't know, okay? They didn't have a classical Christian education, all right? But um, you have this choice. You can chase a Cleo, or you can chase a virtuous woman, and uh, and and. That particular choice is going to um, have a massive impact on your life. Um, let's go over to Proverbs 31. While you're turning there, just real quick, does the Bible, is the Bible against love and passion? No, there's a, uh, there's a book of the Bible that's basically a, a, a love letter. I mean, Song of Solomon is so passionate that it's awkward to read in public. Like, it's a, uh, it's a love letter. The Bible has no problems with that, but the Bible knows how to, to get duty and calling and responsibility and passion right. And you'd get it right when you marry a Christian and you enter into vows of covenantal loyalty and in marriage. And when you, when you stick to, basically, when you stick to God's laws, you don't have to worry about being uh, utterly ruined and made bankrupt by a, uh, a, a succubus. All right, let's look at Proverbs chapter 31. And this is, uh, this is the word to a young man. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. This is from his, his mom, okay? Listen to what his mom teaches him. He's learning how to rule. He's learning how to be a king. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. What does it mean, don't give your strength to women? It means don't sleep around and flirt with a bunch of women and do all that sort of stuff because they will take everything from you. You want to know the number one way to become poor? Child support. Yeah, well, child support sure ain't cheap. That's right. Um, marriage makes you richer, believe it or not. A lot of people, they, they're like, oh, I can't get married because we can't afford to get married. No, I'm telling you, marriage makes you richer. You can, you can become very wealthy within marriage. But when you are a fornicator and you are seduced by the succubus, you, become, you don't become wealthy, you become impoverished. 
And so you're becoming impoverished, though, in your 20s and 30s. That's your strength. Once you get into your 40s and 50s, you don't have a lot of strength left. You understand what I'm saying? Right now, you got a lot of vigor and strength and power and passion. You don't, you don't fritter that away with loose women just because they're pretty. You understand? You want to you want to look for a virtuous woman that can uh, make you uh, more honorable, build up your name, and make you more wealthy. And the the woman is saying this. The mom is saying this to her son. Don't give your strength to women, right? It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Also, don't waste your twenties in drunkenness. That's what it's saying, right? Um, <clears throat> then it goes down to. Verse 10, and explains the kind of woman you want to look for, right? This is, not, this is the opposite of a Cleopatra. Verse 10, an excellent wife, who can find? She is more precious than jewels, right? Pursuing jewels, pursuing gold and silver is one thing, but if you get a virtuous wife, you're going to be, you'll, you'll get the jewels too. You'll have more wealth. You'll have more riches. The heart of her husband trusts in her, right? What does that mean? Yeah, her husband trusts her. He doesn't have to worry about her uh, being like um, Jezebel, right? Or Delilah or Cleopatra. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And listen to all the things she does. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of a merchant. She brings her food from afar, right? There's a lot of work, a lot of uh, uh, industry, a lot of... um, imagination when it comes to building up your name and building up your household. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. What's she doing? Everybody else is sleeping and she's getting food ready for the whole family, Mm -hmm. right? She considers a field and buys it. What's she doing there? She's making investments and engaged in real estate purchases, Right? She, with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. Then she's planting vineyards to bring about um, produce and to bring about a profit. Right? She's buying stocks and, and buying real estate and uh, collecting appreciating assets so that your name and your household gets richer. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She's strong, right? She, she, is, she works. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She works for the whole day, right? A Cleopatra doesn't work. And she's certainly not doing anything for your household. She's um, lazy and and not a person of virtue and industry. She just, the only thing she works on is her looks. That's the only thing she works on, right? Um, You can go to Red's and you can see Cleopatra's succubuses all over that place. They don't work. They're at the health club all freaking day. Like, what are they doing there all day? Some of them are 65, 70 years old, and they have plastic surgery and butt implants, and they've got so much makeup on and hair extensions. They don't work. They literally just consume. All, they're full-time consumers. Full-time, you know what a consumer is? Mm-hmm. Full-time shoppers, and they have a, a sugar daddy or two or three um, that gives them money, and, um, and they just work out all day and work on their image. And, and, and they wear heavy makeup and they drink too much and they are not given to industry. It's not what you want. That is a person that destroys people's lives. Um, this person here in, in Proverbs 31, though, she opens her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She's benevolent and merciful and engaged in volunteer service. She's not afraid of snow. 
right? For her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes sure all her, her, her kids and everybody has enough clothing and everything. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen, linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. That means he's, he has a, 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 a honorable name. His last name is honorable and people respect him, right? When he sits among the elders of the land, and that's because she's, she is promoting him. You understand what I'm saying? She's uh, propping him up and supporting him. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. She's buying and selling, you know. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come, which means she's not living in fear because she has savings and investments and skills. Mm -hmm. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So she knows the Bible. She knows God's law. She um, speaks with wisdom. She looks well to the ways of her household, and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not lazy sitting around just shopping all day. She is concerned about her household. And her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. And then the, 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 king, the, king, the queen tells her son one last thing. She says this, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Charm is that, is... Maybe something like sexiness or, uh, or um, the ability to seduce, you know? And, and, and it says, and it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, okay? Um, but it's deceitful. In the, why, what does that mean that it's deceitful? It can, it can put a spell on you. You don't, you don't, if you know that blues song. She's a black magic woman. You, 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 it would be great to have a virtuous woman who's also charming and pretty, right? But you have to be careful because that seductiveness, that sexiness, that charm can uh, trick you. It might not be a beautiful, tasty minnow. It might be a, a hook, right? It, it, and and it, he goes on to say, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Beauty is vain. What does it mean, beauty is vain? Because everybody gets old. Everybody gets old. It doesn't last that long, right? But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's, who we want. That's what you want. Anthony, he learned the hard way. Um, what happens when you give your strength and your youth and your life and your name and your money and your kingdom to a skank, to a Cleo, and you fall for the shiny object like a bass? Right, um, and does anyone know what happens at the end of Antony and Cleopatra's life? They, yeah, commit suicide. That's right. They commit suicide. Um, <clears throat> so, all right. Well, that's enough for today.